Hey, Forge family. In podcast number eight of the life of Samuel, we were placed in Gilgal beside the Jordan River. It was there that all Israel had come to cross over into the promised land. It was there that the nation crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. And it was then that they were instructed tribe by tribe to return to the riverbed and carry out the biggest stone that they could, leaving a pile of 12 huge stones beside the Jordan as a memorial of God's miracle there for Israel. In 1 Samuel 12, Samuel has made offerings and appointed Saul as king there in Gilgal. Now Samuel turns to the multitude before them, before they could leave Gilgal and sets out to resign as a prophet of God. I mean, he, he's appointed the king. He's done what the Lord told him to do. He's been dismissed. God has been dismissed. He's done. Okay, but then he stands and he gets them to their feet twice. First, he pleads with them about all the righteous acts of God. And then second, stands them to the feet to look out for what the Almighty God is about to do to make a point. <clears throat> the people, like their fathers before them, had turned away from God. And in the present case, they had rejected God as king and demanded a man to be set to judge them, gathering their forces and leading them out to battle, like all the other nations. Sandwiched between the second, stand to your feet, the, the commandment was the exhortation to not stop serving God, to listen to his voice, to not rebel, and that <clears throat> applied to both the people and to their new king. Twice Samuel warns Israel to fear the Lord and obey him only. If they don't, both the people and their king will be swept away. All right, let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we too have our seasons of being drawn aside onto slippery ground, and but you are faithful. Lord, you're faithful to rescue and redeem us. Here we are again, Lord, ready to fear you, serve you, and obey you. We humbly ask you, Spirit, to come alongside and remind us, just as did Samuel. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge, grab your coffee, grab your notebook, copy of the Hebrew Scriptures. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And as you move around, just in your heart, ask the Lord to prepare you for the word to come alive in you. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 13, we, we have a textual confusion. Um, the Hebrew text literally says Saul was one year old when he became king and he ruled over Israel for two years. So some translation committees, notably the New International Version, take leaps to fill in the time gap, and as well as the New American Standard Version, which um, it just puts Saul's age in italics as an editorial insertion that's not in the text. It says that Saul is, was 40 years old. Hey, people, we don't know how old Saul was. But all the translation committees rely on Paul the Apostle's statement in Acts 13, verse 21, that Saul ruled for 40 years. He started somewhere at some age, and 40 years began to run. 
Verse 2. The next, uh, text, next verse says, Saul chose 3,000 warriors to be the core of his army. 2,000 of them were encamped in the Benjamite city of Michmash, controlling one of the passes through the mountains from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River and, and then east. It was used by many merchants and it was used by armies. The other 1,000 choice men were posted in Gibeah under the command of Jonathan, son of King Saul. The rest of the 297,000 who mustered to Bezek, who fought at Kiriath-Jerim. Nope, wrong battle. That was uh, Jabesh-Gilead. Okay, the other 297,000 who were mustered and sent off to, to as a relief force for Jabesh-Gilead, they then moved to Gilgal in chapter 12. Okay, 297,000 of them were sent home. In verse 3, Jonathan was assigned the first battle strike in the War of Liberation from the Philistines. The next town over from Gibeah was Geba, and in it was a garrison of Philistine troops. They were overrun by Jonathan's thousand. Some must have survived because the text says that the Philistines heard of the defeat. Then Saul issues a national call-up of the army. A trumpet was blown. That means a ram's horn, okay? And when it was blown, and the next town heard that, heard that ram's horn being blown, it would pick up their, their ram's horn, their trumpet, and they would blow it, and it would pass from village to village to village to village all over the nation. And runners would follow the, trump, the trumpet blast. And in this case, it, with it came Saul's command, quote, let the Hebrews hear, unquote. Verse 4, the whole nation heard that Saul had struck the garrison of the Philistines in Geba. Even though he was miles away from the action, he's still the commander-in-chief. He gets the credit, okay? The second bit of the report was that all Israel had become a stench, a foul odor in the nostrils of all the Philistines. Nevertheless, Saul summoned the fighters to Gilgal. Again, back down, you know, back down to the, the, the city by the, the Jordan River. Now, granted, the great history of Gilgal, even up to Saul's coronation in the previous years, but I'm not sure it was a wise military move to muster an army there. Now, granted, Gilgal is, an, is the approximate center on the map of all the tribes, and, and it is um, in proximity to, to food and to water. Okay? Here you have a valley that runs north-south about 10 miles across. And to the right, as you look north, and, and to the left, as you look north, there are steep mountains that, that edge this, this Jordan Valley. Okay, Saul may have thought in terms of gathering a maximum military turnout in that place, but I'm not convinced it, was, it would make it a, a, a defensible battlefront. You have your river to the right, you have steep slopes on your left, and your back is to the Dead Sea. Now, because the Philistines tra uh, traded uh, the part of their economy, they traded to the southwest <clears throat> by caravan and by ship, and they'd been exposed to the military might of Egypt. 
and, and they had acquired the technology there. When they show up in force to fight Saul, they come mounted on 30,000 chariots, 6,000 cavalry and foot soldiers. And the foot soldiers were, were, were like the sand upon the seashore. There was a multitude of, of foot soldiers. And they flow out of the five walled cities down on the coast and they move swiftly up the slopes to control Micmash. They control the pass and they block the road. They probably move chariots and cavalry up first. You know, 30 to 40 days is not much. And when you have changes of horses, you know, in one day the Philistines move from their borders to Micmash and the rest of the soldiers and the, and the supplies came up more slowly. Now, like in a chess game, if you want to control the middle of the board, okay, this is what the, was the equivalent of Micmash on the map. My sense of the Philistine army headquarters was that, oh, it was over the top of the ridge, if you will, nine miles north of Jerusalem on the eastern facing slopes above the Jordan. <clears throat> they had laid waste behind them as they came up that road, not fearing Israel to come from behind. And their spies had heard of Saul's muster of the army in Gilgal. Now that's maybe 15 miles downhill, downstream, down the plains alongside the Jordan River. It's an hour's run for a chariot. Just, just moving along, not racing, just moving along. Okay? If they were swift, they could trap the Israelites between the river and the mountains and the Dead Sea. There was no room there for, to maneuver. Verse 6 says that when the Israelite fighters saw the fix that they were in, with few good options on the battlefield, and that they were outnumbered and they were out-equipped, they were outgunned. They had no cavalry. They had no chariots. Okay? Then the men and families of Israel hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, and in pits. It was, get your head down, people, anywhere, any way you can. And some fled east across the Jordan to hide in the lands of Gilead and Gad. Halfway through, through verse 7, we see what King Saul was doing. He's still in Gilgal, in spite of the military disadvantage facing him. And the men with him were trembling. The Hebrew word charav, it points to fear, to tear, and the loss of bodily control. They were shaking in their sandals. Verse 8. Now we discover why Saul had remained at Gilgal. It was because he was told to do it by Samuel. He was to wait there for seven days. So while he waits, the bad news keeps rolling in. Samuel has not arrived on time. And the Israeli fighters were scattering from Saul. Now Saul is in a jam in the natural the Philistine chariot corps is poised an hour away. Undoubtedly, Gilgal is being probed by cavalry scouts and his fighters are going out the back door. They're leaving in desperation or in anger. Saul commands the burnt offerings and the peace offerings be brought to him. He steps up and places the sacrificial animal on the roaring fire of the altar and steps back to find Samuel right there. He turns to greet Samuel as if 
Everything's okay. It's cool here, man. Or as the British commanders used to say, yeah, it's all tiddly. Samuel, hey, what's up? And Samuel doesn't do small talk. He does not allow Saul to obscure the situation with conversation. What have you done? And Saul responds, well, the, the people were scattering from me and, and you were late. You were not on time, and the Philistines are assembled in Michmash. And therefore I said to myself, the Philistines will come down against me and Gilgal. And, hmm, there's one more there. Hmm, uh, oh, I've not asked the favor of the Lord. So I, I forced myself and offered the sacrifice. Verse 13, Samuel does not soften the blow. Saul you have acted foolishly. Sakal. You know, to, to be a fool, to act like a fool. And you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God. He, the Lord, would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now, you're done. Your kingdom won't endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. Whoa, wait a minute. Those are the same lines. Appointed him as ruler. That's exactly the line, the phrase that Samuel had used as he appointed Saul as ruler over the people. Here it says the Lord has appointed one now to rule over his people because, Saul, you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. All right, people, what commandment was that? Let me assure you, it was not because... He was a Benjamite and shouldn't make offerings. Okay? He wasn't a Levite. He's not a, he wasn't of the, of the of family of Aaron. That, that's not the point here. Okay? The commandment is found in the previous chapter. Chapter 12, verse 14. Okay? Here we go. Chapter 12, verse 14. If you fear the Lord and serve him, and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. And then I want to read verses 24 and 25. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he's done for you. But if you will still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. See, on the day Saul was crowned Gilgal, Samuel had proclaimed that both the people and the king must, number one, fear the Lord. Okay, it's in first word order. It's the first priority. Fear the Lord. Now look back up. You know, what did I just say about, about Saul? You know, he, he saw his men leaving. Samuel was late. He could get overrun by this by the chariot core, and oh, oh yeah, there's the Lord. Uh, he, he needs to be asked for favor in this. Okay, there was no sense of fear of the Lord. And yet it's the first order here in, in, the, in the line order. Second, listen to his voice. Third, you don't rebel. You don't do it your way. You know, you don't rebel against God. And lastly, he comes back and writes, he says, only fear the Lord. Serve the Lord in truth with all your heart. Remember what great things he's done for you. But if you don't or won't, both you, peop 
both you people and your king, will be swept away. Verse 15, Samuel has put Saul on notice. Saul, you are done. And Samuel departs Gilgal. No more sacrifices that day. No more offering of peace offerings and trying to seek the Lord for what's going to go on in this battle. Samuel leaves. He goes back up to Gibeah. Saul gets himself and a handful of his men up and out of Gilgal. And when he finally arrives back in the territory of Benjamin, he numbers the guys and he has 600 men with him. That's two-tenths of one percent of the fighter force of Israel. Now, if you remember, Gideon, Gideon had 32,000 show up. Okay. Gideon had better odds. He had 400% better odds than Saul. All right, family. Let's talk about warfare. Spiritual warfare. When we are bold to take back an area of our lives, our community, or our region that has been overrun and held by the enemy, we must do so by faith. In 2000, Ben and Darren and I were in Argentina, and in one city, a local pastor had risen up to proclaim the presence of the Lord in his church, in the neighborhoods and in the businesses. And he and his church saw real results. The kingdom of God was advancing. Then a new business opened that sold occult items, dark toys, wicked things. So Pastor Lorenzo went to that business and spoke with the owner saying, either you repent and change your merchandise or your business will fail. Time passed. That business failed. God honored the faith of Pastor Lorenzo. Now, sometimes we have personal or generational strongholds where the enemy and Satan and his demons come to entice or come to rob, kill, and steal. In the case of the Philistines' marching orders, they arrive right up next to Beth Avon. It's it's right next to Michmash, but they encamped right there and spread out. Beth Avon means house of wickedness, house of iniquity. How many generations of Israel had tolerated the presence of that town and what it represented? And here comes 30,000 chariots, 6,000 cavalry, and a multitude of foot soldiers drawn spiritually to that location. Now, family, please look around inside of yourselves. Your borders and your practices and your pleasures. Is there any Beth Oven hiding just out of sight? And then look at your extended families in the same light. And then look at your neighborhood, your community. What is it that's being tolerated what is, and what is openly doing business. Then look at your region. Here, San Francisco's to the north, Oakland's to the east, Santa Jose to the south, Santa Cruz to the southwest. What are these regional cities known for? Trust me, it's not good in the realm of the spirit. 
but it's celebrated, capitalized, monetized, and promoted. We live in the midst of Beth Oven influences. On the surface, Saul is trying to muster an army of liberation, but underneath the natural, there remained places where the forces of the enemies of God's people were drawn and empowered. We begin with ourselves and apply our faith and obedience. We fear the Lord, not the enemy, and as we obey, Holy Spirit's light and life spring up inside of us in our dark places. That same template applied in prayer will impact whole families, neighborhoods, cities, and regions for the kingdom of God. All right, let's pray, family. Lord God, we would set ourselves to fear you only, to listen, to obey, and to apply our faith to what you point out. We are listening, Lord. We are ready to trust heaven for cleansing and restoration in us and around us. That there be no landing strips for the enemy. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, Forge family. We're going to talk about this soon. I love you. God bless.